And we are back. It is the second half of the Formula One season. It is going to kick off this weekend with the Belgium Grand Prix at Spa. I cannot wait. We are also back here on the podcast. We'll also be remembering the last time we raced. That was back in Hungary and the impact of that particular race to what we're going to see this weekend. All right. Remember when Formula One went into the summer break, the sport was coming off one of the most unique Grand Prix races I can remember. We had so much going on at Hungary. It was insane. We had the first lap accident that was triggered by Valtteri Bottas that took out a quarter of the field. You had a disqualification of Sebastian Vettel. He finished second in the race, but then that moved up everybody else after the DQ. And then you had a win for the first time by Estepan Ocon. So this race had so much, and there is going to be some impact on how we look at the Belgium Grand Prix coming up this weekend. In the end, after 11 races, Lewis Hamilton has an eight-point lead over Max Verstappen for the championship as we head into the second half. All right, so we've got five things to watch out for this weekend at Spa. We'll also have a track talk. It's a segment that we do for some of you newcomers to Formula One. We'll go over the circuit. This is one of the favorites for the drivers and fans. Spa is just fantastic. Plus, we'll dive into some news and notes from the series. A reminder to subscribe to the podcast really helps us grow. Leave a five-star review. That helps us as well. We've also started a Facebook page, the Overtake F1 Podcast. You can find us there. You can leave comments on news and notes, races, results, et cetera, et cetera. So again, a good way to connect with the show. We would really love to connect with you. Also, you can find me at Tony D Radio and uh, share the podcast with friends who are also Formula One fans as we really like the growth that we've been seeing over the last few months. All right, so what am I looking forward to seeing this weekend at the Belgium Grand Prix? Well, the first thing is Red Bull and the potential to bounce back. Now, remember the last two races, they have not been good for this team. They saw a 33-point lead erased. They now trailed the championship by eight. Verstappen had the infamous DNS at Silverstone. He had a P9 at Hungary after he got tangled in that first lap crash, damaged his car. His teammate finished outside the points in both races. He got knocked out completely at Hungary. So there was a dominating run for this team that started in Monaco. They picked up four wins by Verstappen and then a victory by Perez in Baku. But this is how quick fortunes can change in Formula One and in racing in general. A win by Verstappen, especially at one of the two home Grand Prix for him, could give us another sway in a season that has already seen this championship fight go back and forth. However, this has not been a really good track for Red Bull since the turbo hybrid era. Daniel Ricciardo did win for the team in 2014, but Verstappen has never finished higher than third here. He's never even led a lap at the Belgium Grand Prix. Now, much has been made due to the setup. You need a low downforce car in both sectors one and in three. You need a higher downforce car in sector two. But Max has been outstanding this season, grabbing pole positions. He has four of the last five races. And that includes the sprint qualifying race at Silverstone. Now, Lewis Hamilton won the traditional qualifying there to start on pole for the qualifying race. But Verstappen started on pole for the British Grand Prix. This is critical at Spa. Pole position usually results in victories on this circuit. But let's not forget something. The, the season is 23 races long. Now, it will be 23 once we get a date and a location that will replace the Japanese Grand Prix. We have completed just 11. That still means we have a little bit more than half to go. These fluctuations are going to happen this fall. No doubt about it. Does Red Bull have to win here? No, they don't. But momentum is as good as the next checkered flag. But a bounce back for the team, that would be nice heading into the Netherlands next weekend. All right, the second thing I'm watching out for is the Hungarian fallout. 
So like I said earlier in the podcast, round 11 at Hungary was absolutely wild. Now, some in a good way and some in a great way, others just downright terrible. That first lap crash, that was embarrassing for Valtteri Bottas. Anytime a driver takes out a quarter of the field and some big names too, it's a terrible look. And he's had an entire month to really process this heading into Spa. It doesn't help that the driver market rumors are really heating up and they're running high at this point. And of course, the question, what will Mercedes do with that second seat? Those discussions aren't going away. Botas will suffer a five grid penalty for that accident. So the best that he can start this weekend is P6. Lance Stroll will also get a five grid penalty. He also caused some problems on that first lap. Now, Mercedes power should help Botas get back through the field for a decent result. But Stroll's day could be really long, and it could be in the back of the pack if he qualifies poorly on Saturday. One of the good things that did occur from Hungary is the fact that Esteban Ocon won a Grand Prix for the first time in his career. No matter where his career goes, he is now a Formula One race winner. That is not something to take lightly. Now, of course, he won't be the favorite to win races or anything like that, but his season now does take a different significance, right? His results now come with the fact that he has won a race, and that is that is significant. Also, Lando Norris in Hungary had his point streak snapped. Now, he was my driver of the first half, but he was like everybody's driver of the first half. Uh, I'd like to see how he bounces back from McLaren coming up this weekend because he's had a great, great season. All right, number three, and it is rain. It is in the forecast. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know, every now and then I go, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Rain is in the forecast. And then there's no rain at all, but they are really calling for some. It's going to be chilly. It's going to be cloudy. It's going to be rainy. It's going to be foggy. All of this is anticipated for the three days for the Belgium Grand Prix. Now, let me state this. I like races in the rain. However, they can get really sloppy. Now, I don't need a massive pileup at the start of this race. Like we saw in 1998, David Coulthard starting a huge pileup is one of the worst first laps I have ever seen in racing. I want to see the technical skill of racing on a wet track. We have two wet starts to this season. Remember Imola? That started in the rain. It had an exciting start. Max Verstappen in P3, jumping right out to the front. He was going side by side with Lewis Hamilton into the Tamarillo chicane. But we've also seen the carnage at Hungary just a few weeks ago when everybody was on intermediate tires. So I like rain, but I really want it to be careful. I do not want to see a 15-car pileup to start the Grand Prix this week. I just don't want to see it. Number four on the things that I'm watching for for the Belgium Grand Prix, and that's Ferrari. They're continuing to progress. Now, do you remember in France when the Scuderia struggled with tire degradation? Yeah, it was a little while ago. It was like mid-June. They had a terrible Grand Prix at Paul Ricard. But they've really shown some pace in the last few races. Charles Leclerc was taken out in Hungary. I get that. But uh, Carlos Sainz was really impressive. In fact, he stated his case on the radio to stay out when he was called into the pits because he had pace. He ended up finishing P3 after the Vettel DQ. Leclerc, he was so close to winning at Silverstone prior to the Hungary. And even prior to that, the two drivers really showed some good stuff in back-to-back -back races at the Red Bull Ring in Austria, including Leclerc. Remember, he got tangled up with Pierre Gasly on the, on the opening lap, went into the pits, came out like 18th, and then made his way through the field, finishing P7 at 11 overtakes. I mean, that, that, that was the Styrian Grand Prix. So they've really shown some pace. What is going on? Well, Lawrence Barreto at FormulaOne.com has got kind of an excellent piece, and I, I really urge you to read it. It's about the culture at Ferrari, how the team is just currently handling setbacks and disappointments. 
There's going to be a new power upgrade coming, probably around Monza. And things are really looking up as they rebound from 2020, which was just a disaster. Carlos Sainz adapting to his team much better than Daniel Ricciardo is at McLaren. And it has added a really great secondary story. And I've talked about this a lot in the Constructors' Championship race. The battle for P3 is real. I mean, this has been compelling. It's currently tied right now between Ferrari and McLaren. Now, Charles Leclerc has downplayed their chances at Spa. He tends to do this, but they've done pretty well this season at other high-speed circuits, notably at Silverstone. So I don't know what to expect. I mean, I get where Leclerc has been talking about how on paper this shouldn't be a really good track for us, but you know what? Like I've said, he's done it before, and Ferrari has continued to impress. So I'd like to see how the second half of the season goes for the Scuderia. The number five and the final thing, and I think a lot of us are kind of looking looking at this and wondering when this will happen. And so this is kind of timely because by the time you listen to this, this might be old news. But as of right now, will there be any driver announcement for the one question everybody's got about this? Will Mercedes replace Valtteri Bottas with George Russell? That's the big question. We've been wondering all month whether or not this announcement would be made at Spa. As of this recording, it has not happened. It could happen anytime this weekend. And by the time you're listening to this, like I said, it could be old news. Now, if it does, this is going to set in motion a few moves by other teams. The Williams seat will now be available. Botas could go back to his former team. However, it looks like all indications are showing that he would run at Alfa Romeo. So what does that mean for Alfa Romeo? They have to make an announcement on the future of Kimi or Antonio Giovinazzi. If the Williams seat is then still open, who fills that? Does Daniel Kvyat come back to Formula One racing? Does Nico Hulkenberg come back to Formula One racing? And would Russell's movement... Now, remember, if Russell moves to Mercedes, that becomes an even more formidable team for Red Bull in the future. So what happens to the Red Bull's thought about their second seat? Do they stay committed to Sergio Perez? This is all going to be the dominoes of the announcement about Mercedes' second seat if, if and when they make that. And a lot of us believe that is coming very soon. All right, so those are the five things that I'll be looking forward to seeing and see play out at the Belgium Grand Prix coming up this weekend. As for the race on Sunday, it is 44 laps. It is the lowest on the calendar because Spa is one of the longest tracks on the calendar. It's just over seven kilometers long. Pirelli going with the mid-range set of tires, if indeed we do not have any rain. C2 for the hards, C3 for the mediums, and C4 for the softs. That is the same combination that they used last year. Strategy predicted a one-stop race. Again, if there's no rain, mediums to hearts. All right, track talk. This is what we do for those of you who are new to Formula One and you're kind of looking at the Belgium, maybe watching the Belgium Grand Prix for the first time, sort of give you an idea of what the track is so you can enjoy the race. Spa Classic. It's one of my favorite tracks. It's one of the favorite tracks in the sport. It is stunning in, in its layout. It's got tremendous elevation change. It has got sweeping corners, long straights. It is long. It is beautiful. The circuit starts with Le Source. It's a hairpin right-hander right off the start-finish line. This has to be negotiated very carefully, especially at the start of the race. And then it leads to En Rouge and Radion, which is flat out uphill run towards the Kemmel Strait. Now, this is really tricky because it is it kind of goes a little left, right, left. And then you're heading up to the top of the crest of a hill that is blind. Uh, it's, it's great when you see the cars just sort of fly up that hill. But then where they're heading is the Kemmel Strait. And this is really, really flat, fast. They're going flat out off of the source 
up that hill and all the way down that straight. The Kemmel straight is long, and this is where you're going to see some overtaking. It's the first DRS zone of the race, and it leads to the Lacombe corner. But going flat out, coming out of turn number one all the way through the Kemmel straight, you are talking about two kilometers of high-speed racing. So this is what makes this track so special. This, again, you're at the top of the hill, then the downhill portion of the track starts after Lacombe's, which leads to turn 12. This is Puhan. This is one of the most famous corners in Formula One. It is a high-speed, sweeping left-hander. Drivers will feel up to 5Gs going around this. There's a few more turns, and then you get down to turn 16, and then it's another high-speed section at Blanchemont, which is just sort of a tip to the left, and then this will lead to a slow chicane at turns 19 and 20, and then the lap is over. Uh, Lewis Hamilton has won four times at Spa. So has Kimi Raikkonen. Sebastian Vettel has three wins at the track. Charles Leclerc won his first Grand Prix at Spa back in 2019. Michael Schumacher holds the record for the most wins at the track with six. All right, a couple of news and notes that we need to get to. Fernando Alonso signing a contract extension with Alpine, said it took him about one minute to decide to return. Uh, but he also says that an Indianapolis 500 victory and clinching motorsports triple crown is something that he still would like to do. He said the 2022 new regulations are one of the reasons he wanted to come back to the sport. That's going to sort of change a lot of things for teams to be more competitive. He was asked whether or not he had any discussions with any other Formula One team. He said, nope, only with Alpine. But he still wants to win the Triple Crown. That's winning the Le Mans 24 Hours, the Monaco Grand Prix, and the Indianapolis 500. The Indianapolis 500 for him is the only one that remains to win the Triple Crown. But he did say right now his number one focus is on Formula One. One other bit of news, the Japanese Grand Prix has been canceled, which is really kind of sad, no Suzuka, but Formula One's still looking for other options to complete the 23-race calendar. Again, there's conversations about a second Grand Prix in the United States. The Indianapolis rumors are heating up, a second possible race at the Circuit of the Americas. I have no idea where they're going to go. I, I know that these rumors are kind of cool, like they're a little bit of a clickbait. I personally have said many times on this podcast, I'd love a second race in the United States. I'd love Indianapolis. Uh, that would be great. But I also know that there's some logistics with all of this. You know, where are they in the globe? How, where can they go? Um, what, what, are, what races are surrounding the Japanese Grand Prix and where can they actually take it? I mean, Formula One is running back at Turkey after another a couple of other cancellations. So we'll, we'll see where they go with that. I am really sad because I like the Japanese Grand Prix. I like Suzuka. So I'm very disappointed in that. But if you replace it with a race, especially in the United States, I would be pretty happy. All right. One final note, uh, Drive to Survive, the reality documentary series on Formula One is coming back for season four. A lot of people are excited about this. I'm excited about it, but I have to admit I was very late to the Drive to Survive party. I saw it. Uh, during the pandemic and did not watch it. And then I said, all right, my son was watching it. So I watched it and I like it. I like it. I do have some problems with it because I'm not a big reality show person. I know the tricks of the game of reality television. I know there's a lot of manipulation. There's a lot of false drama, but I do think it's an eye opening look for newcomers to see the sport and, and like the sport I have seen. I know I've said this many times on these podcasts. I have seen tremendous growth simply because of this show. 
right? People found this show on Netflix during the pandemic. They wanted to know what it was about. It had a dangerous aspect to it. I mean, the trailer for the opening season was really about the dangers of Formula One racing. So I can imagine some people went, oh, I wonder what this is about. And then got hooked in, got hooked in with the drivers, got hooked in with the characters of the sport and then started watching Grand Prix and now they're hooked. So it has done its job. And it is certainly, it's it helped me create this podcast because I was just seeing too much growth in the United States to forego an opportunity to help people uh, you know, grow their interest in Formula One, a sport I've loved for a very long time. I will say this, the one thing that you have to be really careful of is that you've got to hook them in and you've got to keep them in, right? Like the one thing that I worry about is all of these people sort of jumping into the sport. They loved the reality show. They loved watching Christian Horner and Toto Wolf go at it. And they like the behind the scenes aspect and drivers changing teams and the excitement of races. But I hope it lasts, right? I hope eventually when Drive to Survive decides they aren't going to be following teams around anymore, that you can still find the interest and in, in, in see the growth of the sport across the globe. But as a vehicle to increase interest, it's done a very, very good job. All right, prediction times for the Belgian Grand Prix. I am staying with Mercedes on this one. I love to see Red Bull bounce back, but I think this is a circuit that suits Mercedes really, really well. A lot better than Red Bull. I know it's sort of a different Red Bull in 2021 that we've seen in the past. Uh, I would love to see Max Verstappen kind of do really well in front of the Orange Army. I want to see a championship gets tighter. If something should happen to Max in the race and Lewis Hamilton takes a lead, I'm not going to be too worried about it because I know we've got a lot more races to go. But if you push me, I am going to probably lean towards a Hamilton victory for Mercedes at the Belgium Grand Prix. But Max Verstappen right behind him. I know it's going out on a limb. I get it. All right, coming up, we will have the review of the Belgium Grand Prix. Look for that early next week, probably Monday of next week. Enjoy the races, everybody. We are back heading into the second half of the season. I am Tony D. Reminder, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, like us on Facebook. Hit me up on Twitter at Tony D Radio. All the ways to connect to the show. This is the Overtake F1 podcast. <laughs>